Welcome to the Natural Podcast, where we bring awareness to sustainable health in the business hustle space. Natural Podcast is perfect for the high-performing, business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for French facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we talk to Nicolina Lodge. Nicolina is the first leading glycan researcher and CEO and co-founder of Glycan Age which was founded on a promise that healthcare should start with us caring about our health before we encounter a particular problem. Disease starts on a molecular level decades before we are currently addressing it. While the majority of modern diseases are preventable and the the earliest molecular signal is biological aging, glycan age shows you to measure and influence your longevity by looking at an entirely new part of biology. Glycan biomarkers uniquely and encapsulate genetic, epigenetic, and environmental factors driving longevity for every human. Nicolina is going to talk to us about all of these things today, but a little bit about her is she had lots of hobbies before the whole COVID, uh, which included Thai boxing and aerial silks, and now she spends her time working and researching. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast. Hey, Mihela, thank you for having me. You are now, most I, I, welcome. I have to I have to correct you. So I'm not the global leading researcher in glycans. It's actually my father. So usually they're confused, but it, it, he's the researcher. I'm more the uh, entrepreneurial uh, commercial side, actually. I love it. I love it. That's absolutely amazing. So you would have been brought up with all of this research, brought up with um, an individual that was probably just teaching you all these things. And like, instead of reading books about ducks and things like that, it would have been like scientific papers. <laughs> Well, actually, both of my parents are scientists. My uh, so the, the, uh, my dad's a glycobiology glycobiologist. My mother is a neuroscientist, and I had all kinds of childhood traumas of opening up the fridge and opening up a paw and finding a dolphin brain in it while I was looking for food. So <laughs> I didn't know what bucket you put down to but yeah I, I have lots of these fun memories from childhood. oh that is hilarious it's like oh I'm just looking for some food next thing you know there's a brain there <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not up opening any more pots in my mom's fridge that's done <laughs> no 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 definitely knocked some good food in there <laughs> that's absolutely amazing so tell us a little bit about what you do like what has got you to come where you are now saying you know that your parents are these uh, absolutely amazing researchers and scientists and you're more entrepreneurial so what what have been the key turning points to get you where you are today and what do you do? I don't think there is one turning point. It was more like a little sequence of events. And I think as a child, I wanted to be a zoologist or a veterinarian. So I had lots of little ventures. One was um, collecting tadpoles because they were in like a little puddle that was drying so they would die and then growing them into frogs and and selling that to kids in kindergarten. <laughs> selling it to kids, then, I love it. <laughs> yeah, the, and it was price of a Pokemon card. Wow. So I, I did some market uh, pricing or whatever you call it. Uh, and then hamsters, and I had businesses since I was 16, so at the, or even later, earlier, maybe about 14, 15, I started a dance school. And then my first official LTD company at 18, and I think I have about seven or eight behind me so far. Uh, so in, and then all of them were in any type of biology uh, or science space. They were more just commercial ventures, something that I could, uh, that I had a hobby or was doing at the moment and that turned into uh, a venture. But then with the science side, 
I had a very good pitch from my father about four or five years ago. So I had a, another startup which was very financially successful, but it, I, I think I lost motivation at one point or it didn't have more of a meaning apart from the commercial. And he, and also he, so what he said, do you want to continue uh, renting uh, flats for the rest of your life? Because we were like a platform for um private more long-term private uh, flat hire and um or do you want to do something that nobody else in the world can be doing right now so that was a pretty good pitch and it took me a while i don't think i, I ever thought that i would work with my parents or do what they did uh because i also went to art school and i'm highly dyslexic but also i'm very curious and i i love biology and i i can communicate in a way that they struggle to because they are very technical in their field and I actually like to break it down and make it more simple and understandable for for uh, everybody not just for their uh, field. Uh, what a story absolutely amazing from growing frogs and selling them to other business ventures um, yeah, and you're right you know science is its own language in itself so when someone says you know reading scientific papers it literally can take you like three, four hours to read one of the papers and then you have to read it again for it to make sense. And then you have to think about how you're going to interpret that for the average individual for it to make sense. So it can take you like maybe even a whole day to interpret a proper research paper. So it's not the English language, the normal language that you use. So it's an amazing how you found the gap of how you can translate um, these scientific language and make it make sense in a way to the average human. Yeah, and also people, scientists don't really have contact with their subjects in a way. It's just, you know, dots on a, on a graph. Um, but actually, when you combine the two and you actually have this interaction with, with the end uh, person who, who's receiving some information or telling you something that you wouldn't have usually in the data, you learn a lot of new things. So actually being commercial in the last two years, we uh, found a new diagnostic and patented it from having contact with our customers. We never thought that this would be the case. We never actually saw it or understood it as what it was. So I think this connection would actually, uh, and if physicians have it a lot, a lot more because they have the contact with the patients, but actually combining all of these, you get this feedback that you wouldn't actually see in the lab no matter how hard you look. Yeah, and it's so important in business to actually find out what do your customers want? <laughs> yeah. I love that. So look, here on a natural podcast, I ask all my guests um, a question of success and optimal health. So for you, because you've, you know, you've started so many different businesses and like you said, maybe the last one you weren't so motivated, what does success look like for you now? And in, in, in addition to that optimal health, um, changing fields and so forth, what do the two mean to Nicolina now? Well, for me, I think the first one was freedom. That's one I, I, I worked hard from, from teens. I like this whole having my own resources, deciding what to do with them. It was just like the ultimate. And I had that very early on. And then there's a part where you don't need to think about money anymore. So you get to a point that money is actually not a factor. And that's nice, but it doesn't last a very long time. And then the one after that is, are you making an impact? Is your work important? Are you doing something you, you, you love? Does it excite you? Does it help people? And I think that's the one that I was missing in the last, uh, in the last one. And I always had this motivation and it changes as you're going through 
maybe ups and downs. If you're going for downs, the only thing you want to do is survive. And if you're going for ups, then you, the only thing you want to do is make sure you're using your time the best that you can. Yeah, I love that. that that's you put it so simply and so um, elegantly. I love that explanation of what that looks like. Are we? And the key that got me is: Are you making an impact? And that's what we're here for. We're here on this earth to help each other. Um, and the more we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today, about longevity, I mean, that's literally helping every human. It's not just helping, you know, um, people over 50 or people under 30 or only males or only females. It's literally helping every human because we all age, right? Yeah, and that, I think, needs some translation because I was also very negative when, when I first and I think it was mainly called anti-aging. And I, I particularly didn't like that word, but I also didn't quite understand the field until I understood the science. And this has been a long time. Like I think first time was about 11 years ago where when my uh, father said that he can now measure aging or biological aging. And I, and I didn't think that was significant or that it was very cool because I was 19 and I didn't really care about age <laughs> at the time. If anything, I was trying to hide my age because I had businesses very young, so I never really admitted my real age. I was 25 for for a, a long time. <laughs> 25 um, for five years. <laughs> from 19 to 25, I was 25. Um, so I, I think I understood later on when it, it was more from the, when we, it, it was been perspective of prevention so if you are looking at aging as the cause of all the age-related disease or the health decline that happens later on and you tackle that at the core then you can prevent all of these age-related diseases that come later down the line so instead of you focusing on a single disease you're focusing on this cause or inflection point and tackling that which is the, the ultimate form of prevention uh, and 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 the start of all decline and if we can measure it manage it and uh, influence it then we also are empowered to control our own longevity or uh, what else would you call it not how say healthy aging but yeah, long-term health and yeah. and i mean like you said anti-aging that word it's kind of like you know i see aging as a beautiful thing right because with aging comes so many things and it's absolutely beautiful but I think the key is for us to understand what actually happens with ourselves as we age and as we get older or the longer we're on this earth in this physical form, our cells change, our internal organs change, our tissue changes, right? So, you know, talk about, let's talk about today's topic, how to reverse aging and increase longevity. I mean, a lot of people are thinking and going, is this like not one of the scams? Like, is this even possible? You know, the average, you know, the average age in Australia, I think is 83 um, for how long we live is 83. I think it's 81 for males and 83 for females, something along those lines last time I checked. So is it even possible to reverse aging or even increase our lifespan? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you look at maximum lifespan, the I think the oldest living person was, forgot the first but Clement, she was French and lived to 122. And if you look at um, this, like, uh, not maximum longevity, but average expected lifespan in different, so in the UK, if you go by postcode, if you live in Richmond, you live an average of 17 years longer. If you live in Blackpool, you live an average of 17 years less. And it used to be 10, but post-COVID, 
uh, I think it's now 17. So actually this disparity is already here. Some people are living much longer, some people are living much shorter. So of course, this is something that's not just governed by predetermined factors or, or genes, it's everything to do with, it's a lot to do with the environment behavior and it's something we can control uh, and change because we already see it's possible. Now, can we take it further than that? We, we don't know. Now, that's a big part of the research. There's a lot of people who are enthusiastic about it. I think for us, it's more from the perspective of health because if you're living longer and you don't have health, I, I don't think life is as good, but it also doesn't mean that if you have conditions that you can't also have a good quality of life and manage them in a way that you are healthy or you feel as healthy as possible. Yeah, I like how you compared postcodes. That's very interesting because we know postcodes have to do also with um, social, economical, um, and so many other factors. And usually, well, here in Australia, different races live in different postcodes together. So it's interesting to look at that data um, in regards to postcodes. And that, I think you said 13 years, that's huge difference. Like that is massive. 17 years. 17, yes, 17. That is massive. That's a huge difference. And what is the major difference? Because most people that are listening are from Australia. Um, What would be the major difference between the two postcodes that you said? Socioeconomic. That's the key. And so with our research, it's all to do with the immune system. So we look at, and I don't know if you want to go into this now, but we look at how the immune system ages. And we did a study looking at about 30 different populations uh, around the world. And in the UK, we also had um, three generations of immigrants. And what we were looking at correlated with lifespan in a certain country, but also the development in the country. So it wasn't just uh, based on uh, an ethnicity. And in the UK, we looked at this three generations of immigrants. And in the first generation, they looked like same as a profile as from their country. But in the second generation, they started to look like white Brits or more similar to white Brits. So it, it's a, where you live, your environment is a huge impact. And socioeconomic seems to be a, a big driver of it. Yeah, an absolutely huge driver. So... Aging is a process, this is straight from your website, aging is a process of damage aggregation in organism categorized by increase of inflammation and declining health leading to disease and death. It is influenced by both genetic factors and environmental, exactly what you just said. So my question is, is because a lot of people go, okay, well, it's my genes, you know, my mom or my dad lives without much, I might live to this much. And then some people say, no, 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 it's the environment because uh, like, for example, like we spoke, like um, my family is from Croatia, right? But we moved, we're the first generation moved to Australia. So does that mean just because my grandma who lives in Croatia lived till or however long, does that, is that going to impact me? So it's kind of like the whole debate of genetic versus environmental. What percentage would impact each or what are your thoughts on them too? It is always both. So right now they estimate that about 20% of longevity is defined by genes. Uh, when we look at, uh, so, so just to explain what we look at, we look at um, antibodies and these, and we look at the most prevalent antibody. Everybody knows what antibodies are now because now so they do. We look at this, <laughs> yeah. So we we look at the most prevalent antibody in, in blood called IgG, and then the IgG has these sugar structures around it called glycans, 
which are not random, but also they're predefined with a network of genes, but they also respond to environment. So when we look at this IgG glycans, we know that the genetic influence is between 30 and 40%, depending on the, the, the different glycan structures, and the rest is environment and lifestyle. And by environment, we also mean past environment, which is influenced through epigenetics. Yeah, I like that you said past environment. So I actually um, I just recorded a podcast in regards to how the mother's stress can impact the kid's genetic the unborn kids genetics and it's yeah. absolutely crazy so if you you know if you haven't had kids yet and you're stressed out or something major happens like a pandemic and then you have a kid maybe a year later that is going to impact their genes right yeah trauma is heritable it, it's really fascinating and they had lots of interesting mice and, and rat studies in this where they would um uh, give them like a smell of fresh cherries and then shock them and then they have kids, they separate the kids, they put them in a very different environment. They put out the, the smell of fresh cherries and the, the, the kids have anxiety. So it's it's fascinating. Wow, that, that's that's absolutely crazy and it does impact us. So it's I'm glad that you, you, know, you mentioned, you said it straight in regards to genetics and environmental because uh, these questions, a lot of them come up and people go, well, you know, genetics are my, like, that's the way it's going to be right well no like you just said 20 percent, according to the research and what you're looking into um the other thing is is aging right there's on your website if we look at it and if we talk a lot of people talk about biological aging right what is biological aging and what are you actually using um as a benchmark for these measurements so biological aging would be I'm thinking of a very simple way to explain it, but it will be where you are on your health span journey, or because you have other markers which are more for mortality or maximal longevity, but they also have sometimes nothing to do with your health span because you may have a potential of maximum longevity of 122, but on average we live to about 80 or 83 in Australia. So um, for us, it was really random. So actually in Croatia, you have this uh, leading global lab for glycobiology, which is the biology of sugars. And when we say sugars, you have to forget everything you know about sugars, because although we have sugars in our food and they're very familiar to us, actually we have sugars in our biology, which are part of our cell biology. So they're a structural component and they, they actually make us more complicated than, than genes. And when we say that, that really confuses people. But one way that you're familiar with these glycans is that, for example, you have a blood group, an ABO blood group, and the blood group is defined by the glycans on blood cells. So they can define our blood group. And over 100 years ago, the first personalized medicine treatment, which was blood transfusions based on the right blood group, was based on glycans. So they're a really important factor in making us individually unique and they encapsulate all these different influences. So for example, on the antibodies we look at, the genetic influence is 30, uh, 30 to uh, 40%, but then also they can very quickly change with different therapies, lifestyle changes, and, and other factors where they define how long you're going to be healthy or, or, or live. And we, we found it really randomly because when we you look at glycans, if you look at any disease, the most research is focusing on diseases, you have to incorporate age to understand what's happening with the disease because the age was the strongest factor. So if you're looking at 
um, diabetes, you have to know age of the patient if you're looking at glycans for it to make sense. So aging was the strongest factor in research when we looked at this big cohorts of people. And so far, we're at about 150,000 people, some from biobanks, which were followed over up to three decades. So you have this historical data as well. And this is the largest glycan, human glycan data uh, in the world. And we see how this changes. And it, it, it basically, the immune system becomes dysregulated. So the antibodies don't really have much of a functionality uh, or effect or function without the sugars around them. And the sugars around them, they can activate and suppress inflammation. So it's not just creating inflammation, it's also anti-inflammatory. And then as we're aging, they get dysregulated in the way that you have more of the bad ones, which create inflammation and turns into this low-grade chronic systemic inflammation. And we have less of the good ones which suppress it. So there's a misconception that as you age, you have an underactive or a, a depressed immune system. Actually, you have an overactive immune system in a way that it creates too much inflammation and an and not active enough in terms of shutting that inflammation fast enough. So you don't really appropriately respond to any life challenge. And also the immune system goes across with metabolism, it's a little bit different. So some of these glycans and antibodies are related to metabol uh, metabolic aging, but a lot of them are not. So for metabolic aging and diabetes, we actually look at different proteins and glycans, but everything else, cardiovascular disease, all autoimmune diseases, um, a lot of the uh, metabolic and uh, lots of also lifestyle factors have a huge impact, like for example, smoking. You would see a signature on the immune system for about five years since you stopped smoking. So it's um, quite interesting. I'm so glad that you mentioned about the immune system, uh, about as you age, individuals think that our immune system just stops working or it actually has that low-grade inflammation, systemic inflammation throughout the whole body. That's just there the whole time and that's actually causing most of the issues. Um, so I'm so glad that you mentioned that because a lot of individuals, yeah, they just go, oh, my immune system's just not working. I'm not getting sick. My immune system's not working. That's because it's fighting something else somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, so we spoke about that you test um, on the IgG on the test. So how long has this research been done and why, what was the major, major reason that they chose to test the glycans? I know you touched on it a little bit more, but can you give us a little bit of a history of what your dad's done or the whole process and what, what did he try to achieve from it? So what I mean by that is like, for example, was his whole achievement to make people live longer, healthier, or was it to prevention or what was it? It was curiosity about glycans as a field that's being neglected. So if we are looking at complexity of an organism, if you just look at genes, you're, you're not really going to understand. Because if you if you look at genes, for example, a yeast has 6,000 pieces of DNA, a human has 24. So we're four times more complex than yeast. A fly has 20,000 pieces of DNA. So if you're looking at complexity of an organism and you want to, we, when we first, like, when scientists was first looking at the human genome, they thought that humans will have 100, 150,000 pieces of DNA. That wasn't true. We're just a little bit more complicated than a fly. So there's other things which make us more complicated. And one big factor is the glycans because the, uh, the, the protein, so the DNA creates the protein. The protein is the workhorse of the cell, or it does most of it. But the sugars around the protein change and regulate its functionality. 
So unless you're looking at these sugars, you're only looking at one part of biology and you're not understanding this whole other picture. So that was his number one curiosity. And that was a, it still is quite a neglected field. So everybody's still looking at, because we have the tools. So we have really good tools to look at DNA and we don't have such good tools to look at glycans. So he pioneered this field of high glycan analysis where you can look at a lot of different samples in a short period of time so we can finally uh, and we are probably where the genetic field was about 10 years ago and we're catching up pace as, as fast as possible and it, it really unlocked this future I, I don't think he was personally looking for he was certainly not looking for longevity, longevity because he's not the greatest greatest example at that point so i say he's non-biased because he doesn't really care too much about uh, how long he personally lives uh so he's not biased as a scientist. But what's fascinating about the glycans is they're also very early warning. So any single disease you look at, they change sometimes up to a decade before you, you actually manifest manifested or you're diagnosed. And this was long for known for a long time. So with rheumatoid arthritis, over 30 years ago, they saw that the glycans change a decade before you develop it. For hypertension, we replicated this a bunch of times, but there was another study last year that was published in hypertension where we see the glycans change seven years before you're pre-hypertensive. Same is for diabetes. You have a very long time. And right now, how things are diagnosed, you're doing the traditional blood markers, which will show you when you, that you have a problem when they can identify the organ that's not working properly. So you're not really diagnosing a disease or you're diagnosing it at the end point of disease. Well, if we can catch them early on the molecular level by looking at glycans, for example, we have a long, very long time frame to respond. But then you also have the, the problem that not all of the intervention is drug-related, or you sometimes don't have any, any drug that can apply. It's more nutrition and lifestyle and things that people control themselves. So even if your doctor gave you the perfect recipe of what you should be doing to prevent that disease, you have to implement it yourself. He can't just give you a pill for it. So that's the other point of prevention, where you come back to personal, personal responsibility. It's really you that can transform this process or work on it and delay this for yourself before the, the doctor can actually do anything for you. Yeah, that, that's a perfect model for prevention because five, seven, ten years prior to a disease, that is a long time. And a lot of individuals that come and see me or, or ask me that are around, they always say, oh, I got diabetes I'm like, well, what, you got diabetes when you got that blood test? So you just got it overnight? Because it, it never happens overnight. Like you said, it, it takes years. Our body always gives us clues. Our body always gives us some nudges and some warning signals. And and on a, on a molecular level, that's one of the things that you guys are testing there, that you can kind of see what is happening. So are you able to tell us maybe some success stories or some stories before we go into a little bit more about um, a little bit more of the sciencey stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe someone like when you did it, did you ever do your test and find out what your age was or someone that you know? Can you tell, I'm, I'm so interested. I know I'm skipping a few yeah. questions, but I just got interested no, no. in that. I was like, I want to know. <laughs> Individual examples or research examples? What would you? Whatever you wish to share. Okay. So, my story is very boring because my result is very good. <laughs> I think it's now nine years less or even down 30, so it's 10 years less. Wow. 
<laughs> I first measured it about seven years ago. So when it was really actually complicated, you have to like, now it's a very simple fast you do at home with a few drops of blood. It used to be you, you have a nurse take blood and then you separate plasma and then that can be analyzed. Um, and at first it, it did follow my age. So when I started measuring it, it would age a year per year. So it was going up, although it was still a couple of years younger. Um, and that, and then that was quite unhealthy. I think my gut health was horrible. I was super stressed and had anxiety all the time. And that had a little bit, and then it stopped at one point. And I think that was meditation personally. I, I don't think I would actually still uh, be, be an entrepreneur with, without have starting to meditate or have fixed that stress management, anxiety management issue. I think I would have, well, like my health would have interfered at some point. So that really did work magic for me but then also we have this thing that men and women age differently and we see that for some women and I, I may be one of them um they're really resilient up until menopause so they would actually be 10 20 years younger for a very long period of time and then a couple of years before menopause they would have this rapid uh, accelerated biological or immune aging we also call it infla aging so this accumulation of low-grade chronic inflammation that you don't necessarily feel, it's just in the background there, um, would change about an average of nine years. But for some women, it would change 50% as they transition into menopause, which can be 20, 30 years. So that, that was also interesting to me when I saw the first graphs. I was like, oh, men and women are so, so different. And it makes sense because our life expectancies are very different. Uh, but also our health expectancies are, are, are like we have menopause quite early and then post-menopause we're, we're more prone to chronic conditions and we have more of them by the time we, we die. So it is quite interesting that in, in a way we have a better functioning immune system while we're in reproductive age. And I think this is one more reason you have the uh, demand flu, which is actually real. It's a problem. It's a very different type of disease because they have a different <laughs> immune system. Um, and And then... We, we, we kind of catches up with us as, as that happens, but also it's manageable. So one thing we are doing a lot of work in, we're developing a new uh, diagnostic to detect menopause early. And that's what we discovered with contact with our clients. We had no idea that perimenopause existed or you can your hormones can be, be declining for years before you actually, your periods finally stop, which is how you diagnose menopause now, which is crazy. You, you wait for... Uh, 12 months plus one day that woman had, hasn't had a cycle and then you say, okay, she is in menopause. doesn't matter the last 10 years that her hormones were declining and she had all these symptoms. If, if anybody told you, you, know, you uh, have diabetes, but I can't diagnose you for, you know, until it's more, it, until it's finally happened and a year after it's finally happened, then finally I would be able to <laughs> do, do something for you. So it's, it's actually insane. Um, so we're doing a lot of work on that, and there is interventions that that help and manage it. They work for the majority of people, uh, which is hormone replacement, which is very it can be very natural these days, or the drugs are synthesized from wild yams. So there's a lot of misconception also thinking about the old form of drugs where you had some trials, which were also the data was also exaggerated or manipulated publicly manipulated in the way how magazines wrote about it because it wasn't a significant increased risk. Um, but now they're very different and they do actually have, like our biggest success stories are these women who have had all these symptoms gone through menopause and then they have a very rapid improvement 
with the right type of therapy, not just that, all of these different other conditions they were diagnosed with, the depression, fibromyalgia, everything else goes away with menopause therapy. So they had a list of five conditions that their doctor gave them before. And then as they finally, into, you know, as they get the right type of therapy and support, all of their symptoms improve and all of their conditions go away. So it's, a, it's also the, the, the same point as aging. We look at menopause as a natural event. So we think it, it must happen. It happens to everybody. So it's not a disease. So we don't treat it or, or, or weight it as heavily as a, as a disease. And then we get all of these side effects of menopause, which are connected. And also lots of chronic conditions for women start at that point, from insulin resistance to hypertension, dementia potentially. Lots of them are connected to actually our declining hormones. So, so that's one. Others are a lot more no drug interventions. We had a lot of clients who are pill avoiders and they will avoid them for as long as possible. And even if they have an early condition, condition, but there's lots of ways you can manage it. And and this is this is specific because it really happens to every woman and we don't have a way to manage it. And that organ has stopped working. So you are not going to, we don't have a way to bring that organ back to life. So unless you are uh, unless you're looking, you, we should be looked at as a hormone deficiency. Unless you're addressing it, then yes, you will postmenopause or even years prior be in hormone deficiency for life. So I think that's unique. But with a lot of the other conditions, they are fully preventable. It never needs to happen. You never need to develop hypertension. You never need to get diabetes or an um, autoimmune disease. All of these things are very manageable. So for that, a lot of it goes back to our lifestyle. And in research, we know that uh, weight loss has a big uh, influence or we, we looked at twins over 20 years and we see the twins who are gaining weight age faster, the twins which are losing weight age slower. And then we looked at um, excessive, what do you call that? Excessive, intensive, like a lot of weight loss, which is basically bariatric surgery. And that will be actually very positive in terms of their health and their immune system six months post problem is it's a it's a it, it's a fix that doesn't change your eating habits so how do the people just get back to their old habits and regain the weight so it doesn't quite work long term uh, and then just caloric restriction works very well as well and the most impact it would have is actually on these glycans related to um, metabolism and metabolic aging and that's and then also the other ones as well uh, diets are complicated. So when we had this whole research on uh, on weight loss, we thought, okay, great, let's do a big study on all these all these diets and find the one diet that everybody should be following, and then and that's you know, what we're all looking for. What is that diet? <laughs> <laughs> and the conclusion was it doesn't exist. So we we looked at um, a thousand different people in a very well controlled European study, and that's actually just being drafted at the moment, and they had packed. So everything, like they, they didn't have to make their own food. They fed them for a year, certain uh, nutrient proportions. And it was both high carb, um, low carb, high protein. Uh, high. It was a combination of five of these diets. And one was just, they called it a healthy diet. So just more, um, I actually don't know what the healthy diet was, but just more organic, I would think. Um, and in each of those cohorts, even in this healthy diet, you had um, 50% people benefit, 50% people people get worse so we're actually very individual in how we metabolize food 
And it makes perfect sense, which is why the whole nutrition field has so much debate of, oh, this food is bad, this food is good. Yes, maybe for one person, this food is bad or this certain, you know, keto or whatever trend it is, is, is working magic for one person, but could be doing harm for another. So it's all about this. I think the future will be this personalized medicine where you understand, we understand our biology and how we respond to food and then customize our diet based on that. And we can, so we, with the biological age, you can also test it, but we still can tell you in advance what diet will work for you. So you would run an experiment and a lot of the uh, clients do fasting or they would do keto and all of these. And then some would have a good, some would have a bad um, response. <laughs> and actually, I remember a nutritionist who, who was one of the very early uh, people to try it. And he had a bad score. He was eight years older and he was uh, certified nutritionist. So he was giving out nutritional advice. He wouldn't want to share um, that information. No. <laughs> well, I, 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 actually, he did. Good, and, and I love the fact that he, he did. And he even explained what, what it was. And it, it was really, well, the keto didn't work for him because he had a high biological age, but also he had oxidized lipids. So although it was a very healthy keto, the keto just didn't do good for him. And then another thing is I think when uh, a lot of the early nutritional training was very focused, or I think it's changing now, was focused on the elimination diets. On the elimination diets without putting new things in. So this was actually the microbiome industry, and this was five years ago. And he told me about the conference of nutritionists he had with the top 20 UK nutritionists. And then you had this company that was analyzing your microbiome and they tested the top 20 UK nutritionists and then they tested 20 guys in the lab. And then when they got the results, the 20 guys in the lab who ate everything and anything had better results than the top UK nutritionists. And they realized the reason why is diversity of food. You, for your microbiome to be healthy, you need diversity of food. And a lot of times we are taking out of our diet and supermarkets are so limited. So you don't have this diversity because there's only you know, five foods you can buy or something like that. So that was a big misconception in the nutritional space. And then also with the elimination diet, it also didn't make full sense with the microbiome. So if you're taking out the food, so let's say you take out eggs for three months. And then the fear was you take out this food, you don't have it for three months, then you introduce it back in you'll have, if you have a response, that means you had an intolerance to that food. Actually, what the microbiome industry shows is that you took out this food and you had bacteria, because you ate this food, you had bacteria that used to digest it for you. Now you didn't feed this bacteria for three months, it died off. And when you eat the food again, you have an intolerance response because you don't have this bacteria anymore, not because you've always been intolerant to it. So it, it's quite interesting when you put biology in and you see that some of these conceptions about health that we had were actually not so correct or needed some correcting. And I really always admire, particularly specialists and, and, and him, to be able to be open to that and to learn something new and to change your practice or your way of, how, or your theories that you had before. So. And also we do know if you fix your microbiome, so you fix the immune system in your gut, it actually fixes the immune system in your blood and your biological age goes down. Wow. So this is all abs so absolutely interesting. And and even uh, you said in one of the past researchers that they were fed for a whole year these foods. And it's interesting when we go, let's go back, 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 back. 
So we are supposed to eat differently according to the seasons. We're never supposed to have the same breakfast. We're never supposed to have the same dinners, but it's become a convenience. It's become an ease. You're supposed to eat differently in in winter compared to summer. There's different vegetables available. Like there's so many things that maybe you're supposed to do keto every three months for a whole year, but not for the whole year. Maybe you're supposed to be vegan for two months every year. Maybe you're supposed to be a carnivore for one month every year. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's all about a variety and changing and adapting like the seasons change and adapt so does our microbiome and it's got a huge huge effect on our immune system and like you said on on our longevity on how we age like who would have thought that's absolutely amazing yeah so we're looking now for more practical tips and on what you can do because we can't work so the fear with the diets is that we respond differently to different nutrient proportions and they're probably isn't a genetic part to it because there was this big genetic studies on you know high fat low fat diet to see what has a bigger effect based on genes and it had no effect so it didn't matter what your genes said you, you we were just responding differently so i think that there will be other things in between it could be microbiome could be interaction between microbiome epigenome glycome and all of these things together could define what food you respond to in, in a positive or negative way nobody's yet cracked it lots of People are trying both research and, and commercially, but anybody who's saying he fully has, you know, they, they fully haven't. Um, microbiome is very interesting. So there you have a consensus of the industry where they agree that a diverse microbiome prepares you better for your environment. And there's actually this very simple thing that we had a few of our clients do and actually had a significant impact, which was increasing the diversity of plants. So one of them increased the diversity. So he was super fit, did everything right, had a very good biological age, five years younger, and he wanted to optimize it further. So he had to try something a little bit more than that. So although he had a very healthy diet already, he just put in more diversity, could control it very well. So he had his sleep measured, activity, everything was measured, stress, well-controlled. He's actually in Australia. Um, so I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, surname properly, Nick Egerer. He has a longevity blog. He wrote about it. It's, it's quite cool. So he did this experiment, 40 different types of plants per week for three months. And he reversed his biological age by six years, which is significant. So we want to do this as a proper study trial control to, to, to see if we can have the same output with everybody. But it's basically what our you know, grandmothers told us forever, which is eat, eat your vegetables. And <laughs> this is eat more diversity of them. Um, and it makes sense also if you understand it, because I never like when somebody says you, you have to do something because it's good, but you don't understand why. And it's because if you're informing your, so you're eating local vegetables, as you said, you're eating seasonal. So eating local uh, vegetables and you're inform or plants, it can be fruit, it can be nuts, and you're informing your immune system about your environment. So it's, it creates, so our first response is always inflammation. If something's foreign, like a foreign food, first response is inflammation. But if your body is familiar to it, you familiarize or your immune system is familiar, you don't create as much of that information. So if you have an informed immune system, so you're feeding it all of the plants in your local environment, it's more informed, it creates less information, which makes perfect sense, which is why the whole crazy global food industry of, you know, shipping food, you know, to different continents just doesn't really make sense for us in terms of- It makes of us old. <laughs> Yeah, it makes us old. It, it shortens it shortens our health span. Maybe very convenient, but it shortens our health span. 
That's absolutely amazing. And making the link of all that. Um, there's one thing that I wanted to talk about before we go into a few more things that people can do is two things, actually, sleep and exercise. How do they impact aging? Um are there benefits? Are there downsides? Um, I know it's such a broad question. So we can literally talk an hour probably on each one, but just like a little bit, if you can give us a bit of detail on sleep and exercise and aging. Sleep, we don't have enough of our own research. And I, there is actually a study we're trying, but it's connected to menopause. So that then will also have, because you have a lot of sleep, sleep disturbances with hormones go down. And then if you manage it, sleep improves. Um, we know sleep apnea, has a negative effect, but it's also very small sample size. And it's basically because you, well, if we don't fix ourselves overnight, we end up in this kind of um, chronic stress. And chronic stress, if we're running from a lion, we don't need the immune system, we don't need the digestive system, we don't need the reproductive system. So all of these different systems suffer. So that would, I would say that's probably one, fa- one reason it has an impact but we haven't properly studied it. So we don't know how big it is compared to weight loss or exercise. We know a lot. So exercise is a very interesting one. And I think back in 2016, we did a, so years before then we know, okay, we have this marker for biological age based inflammation. It can be causal to a number of conditions and it changes years before it happens. So, but can you change it? Can you actually reverse it? And we didn't know, so it was, it, we did this small nursery home study where they put them on an exercise program and improved their diet, and they had a small reversal. So exercise and uh, diet could have, a, you can reverse it, something that's movable. Um, then we looked at a big study that was still not published. I think we're still struggling to get it published because the funders of the study didn't like the outcome of the study. Uh, but we did a thousand people going to the gym for the first time. They were 40s to 60s, and they never they had a sedentary lifestyle beforehand. So it was a very intense exercise program for them, very intense diet. And we followed them for a year, and all of them kept getting older. So for us, it would be ideal, you know, if you reduce your biological age in the gym, then that's a massive industry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we should. But actually, it did the, the, the reverse. And we didn't, didn't first understand why. And we followed them for a while and they kept getting older. And we were so confused because this was what everybody does for health. How can it not be the case? Um, and then we looked at smaller sports groups. So we had smaller cohorts of people which were very well controlled. We had lots of other data to understand what's going on. And when we did the study on sprint training with a group of young men, so they were in a sports group, they didn't exercise for a period before, but they were athletic in a way. And they did interval sprints without any diet intervention for three months they all got younger so okay exercise is good it's it's not bad or, or is the extent of it bad and then we did the bodybuilding women's bodybuilding so bikini fitness study where we had all other data so both genetic all kinds of other immune system and lots of other data tracked from them and we had one cohort which was just exercising and preparing to compete and then there was another cohort which was on intense caloric restriction and and then competing and uh, intense caloric restriction and competing both cohorts got older so as both of them competed they got older from five to even ten years in in the three four month period which was quite significant 
But the cohort, which was just exercising, then followed three months later, they recovered. So they would do damage as they compete, and then they would recover. The cohort, which was on caloric restriction and exercise at the same time, didn't recover in the period we followed them. And what we saw that if you're doing exercise, you need to be doing smart exercise. So it should, and the, uh, the idea of calories in, calories out, so caloric restriction plus intensive exercise, just didn't work for our biology. Or the whole immune system, everything from genes to all the other immune cells to uh, the glycans, everything changed in a pro-inflammatory way and, and, and stayed as well for probably a long period of time. And then we're, we're still trying to decode what's going on fully, but basically if you are intensely exercising that you're causing stress and inflammation, if you recover enough, you can reverse that. But if you are also doing limiting your calories to so your, your energy deficiency, that could be rest or, or calories, then actually you're just accumulating this inflammation. And one reason is because when we're not machines, so when you stress us, you sometimes activate, or you, we activate our natural system to fix ourselves. And lots of, like the skin industry knows this really well. They do this microneedle, puncture skin, <laughs> and that makes it younger because they're stressing it. And then this activates this natural system to, to fix our, our, our skin. But that happens internally as well. If you stress the system positively, so acutely you stress it, it activates this internal system to repair ourselves. But if you do more stress, then you can, you're in chronic stress, you do more damage than you can actually repair, then you're just accumulating damage. And this in sports probably happens with muscle. So you're doing tissue damage, you're building new muscle. But if you're not properly feeding it or recover, you're giving enough time to recover, you're accumulating scar tissue. And this is not so healthy muscle, which may be the case why athletes have a very short career, um, about age 35, usually they're an old athlete, by any other professional at age 35 is peak of their career. And um, they also have a lot of the age-related conditions early, early from joint arthritis. All of this happens in their early 40s or way sooner than the average population. So it's quite, and for women, we also knew, and we had this uh, in another study, their hormones are suppressed. So when they're intensely exercising, and there may be a gender difference in response to um, stress from training, for men, the hormones go up. For women, we actually suppress their hormones, which is why a lot of athletes can lose their cycle. Or for example, professional ballet dancers don't get their cycle until they're 19. So there's a very big impact on reproductive um, aging potentially as well we don't know if it's long term um, and also they lose bone density so if you're looking at aging and you're looking at a you know fit woman who's you may have the perfect body she actually could have um, a hormone imbalance and osteopenia or loss of bone mass so it, it's it, it's actually looking at from the inside out it's not so healthy so I think this is also a little bit of a change in, in sports and more of awareness of how there may be a gender difference in response and maybe women should be better fueling themselves or having more recovery or should be training in a different way to men. Maybe faster training is not so good for women and maybe better for men. But then also the gender spectrum is so broad because when we are also looking at the immune system, you see a gender difference, but then some women behave like men. So there's almost no difference. There's so, so much. Yeah. Um, I love that information that you provided us with. And it's such an interesting exercise is an interesting, like I've read a few 
research studies and exercise and inflammation. And yes, it causes inflammation and we all think inflammation is bad and it's not good for us and so forth. But exactly what you said, it has to be the so-called good inflammation, the so-called good stress. Um, and like you said, the things like meditation. So it's kind of like you need to stress yourself out and then you need to calm yourself and then stress and then calm. You need to have those ups and downs. It can't just be plateaued. Um, I love that information. And I know um, we're coming to the end of the podcast, but you mentioned uh, for practical tips for the audience to incorporate, to reduce their biological age, right? So you did mention a few things just before, um, you know, not being obese uh, probably is one of those things. Um, the other one was that you mentioned was um, c- uh, calories, um, how much they eat um, and so forth. Would there be anything else that we could put in there some practical tips to anyone i mean one of the first things is measure your age first and i guess that can do that by going on your website is that correct yeah they can go on it's a simple test you do at home we ship internationally so australia new zealand you get a little bit of a so one week delay results reports but apart from that it's fine because we work with the dry bloods and it's stable in the post for two weeks so we can ship pretty far. Uh, just to go back on what you said about chronic and acute inflammation, mm. we're always looking at chronic inflammation. So we, when we look at glycans, they have a very long half-life, which is about three weeks. So you're always looking at the last six to 12 weeks of influence. So even if you're looking at sports inflammation, it's not good sports inflammation. If it was acute sports inflammation, then great, okay. that's going to go yeah. away the next day. Yes, your, your muscles will hurt for a short period of time. But if it's chronic, then yes, that's more about, we're also working on studies now where we correlate it to injuries so we can prolong an athlete's career by minimizing his risk of injury. Uh, for the biological age as well, we had another study which just broadly correlated with uh, future hospitalization. It was the best biomarker to predict it from beyond all, any of the clinical biomarkers. Uh, better than any of the other biological age measurements because they were either risk specific or they didn't correlate with long-term outcomes so you know that you are really if you are moving it you're really reducing your uh, risk for long term and you're increasing your health um how uh, other tips and what to do which are more practical so some i always try to talk more from what we published in research when, when i can but then also there's nice individual cases. One thing we published, but it was a very small study, uh, was an experiment with eggs, which were fortified with healthier meters, and that had an impact, uh, positive impact on your glycan. So probably the balance of omega-free is, is a very important thing. We would need to replicate in a bigger study and um, maybe you always also need to replicate something to say it is, because if you see it once, doesn't mean it will happen again. But that could be a nice factor. And then one which is more of a personal story. So one of our uh, scientists, actually, so she, super fit, perfect weight, um, tried to eat better, tried to move more, but not too much. Couldn't improve her results. She was 10 years older. Um, she also tested everything to do with if she has any autoimmune disease, thyroid, Crohn's, everything, nothing came back. As, uh, so she, she was a mystery case. We, we couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, and then she tested a protein in the, in the gut called zonulin, which influences the distance of your cells. So it can cause leaky gut when you have a lot of it. And she had a huge amount of zonulin. And we had a lot of this other research with different uh, colon cancers and other uh, conditions where zonulin was very, very high 
and it's actually influenced by gluten. And I was the first one who said because of the microbiome stuff, oh, this is, you know, you there's no reason not to eat gluten because, you know, you should inform yourself about. But actually, it does influence levels of zonulin, even if you don't have Crohn's disease. So gluten can cause harm for factors which are beyond what we think in medicine now, which is you having celiac. So I am now absolutely for, yes, eliminate gluten. Maybe have a little bit, you know, and then so you for because you're going to find it everywhere in food. So have a little map, but eliminate it as much as possible because it is influencing your gut in a way that it's influencing your immune system and long-term health. Because for her, she also had lots of symptoms. So she had recurrent miscarriages, took her a very long time to get pregnant. And then when she got pregnant, she got, had gestational diabetes. So she had all of these mystery symptoms. All of her blood work was perfect. See, she had no autoimmune condition, but actually the zonulin was a huge impact. So eliminating gluten is a simple tip. Maybe introduce it every now and then so you have some familiarity, but eliminate as much as possible. I love that. I love that. And there is, yes, there is a lot of research on zonulin and gluten and leaky gut. And even now in aging when that, that, that that's absolutely um, what a link, right? Um, and I love that. So to finish off, I mean, you've provided us with so much information. I mean, I might get you to come back again because I've got so many more questions that I didn't get to ask you because I just got excited and I was like, tell me a bit about this, tell me a bit of that. And I'm pretty sure you have so much more research and so much other information to share with us. But I guess the first thing would be for anyone who's interested to know their age um, is to actually get it tested. And I'm keen 100% and I'm going to jump on it to see what mine is and see what I can do um, to get it better. But I'm, I'm really, really, if someone, I would highly recommend to get it tested to figure out what's happening and then and then um so what's the process do you jump online you order it do you get a consult do you get a plan can you tell us a little bit about that before we let you go yeah absolutely so it's very simple we have an e-commerce for consumers but we work with clinicians as well and we have them uh, across 40 different countries now so you can find a practitioner who's local with the practitioners they're more specialists or focusing in a certain area so if you have a certain focus you want to go to i would look for the specialist. If you're just a general consumer who's curious and wants to control it yourself, it's biohackers or, or any health enthusiast, they, um, then you can go online. You can have a, a buy a package. We have a package of one, which is more just one test and a consultation. Or you have a package of two, which is a test consultation. You followed for a period of time. You test again to see the impact and you have a follow-on consultation. So it's more influencing your age for the long term. And all of these are available in monthly installments. So it is, technology is pretty extensive and we put a lot in it. So it's, it, 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 we try to make it as, as supportable as possible by also offering this delay of uh, in, installments for payment. And it's really good at inspiring behavioral change. So sometimes you are, you know, so there could be something that's not great. So you get what you expect, but then it really motivates you to make that change. And then on the other, it's just getting feedback for everything you're investing your time, money, and energy into. If you are you know, spending hours in the gym, following this very strict diet or uh, all these, or have, you know, taking 70 different supplements, which some people do, <laughs> you want to have some feedback that's actually working for you. And the best control this experiment is one by one. But then also, if you're not uh, obsessed, obsessive about control experience, you can just do a general change and then have 
feedback on if that's going in a good direction or a wrong direction. And the specialists are, the, so our, our consultation system is really to, also it's, glycans are very new, so we try to explain as best as possible, as simple as possible in the reports, but because they're so new, it's nice to talk to somebody who understands them well, so it's, and it's always better for you to follow if you have it because they're all actually doctors in their team with additional nutritional training or sports science so they go a bit beyond your average gp so it can give you more of a specialist and we um they go from menopause to mental health to diet to exercise and that's selected based on your health profile so if you fill your health profile we will find a specialist which goes along with your health profile if you don't it's a generalist and then you can take it from there. I love that. That's gone into a lot of thought for the whole system. And I mean, I guess some people can't come back and their age comes back maybe 10 years older and it's like, wow. But I see that as a good thing because then it's like, wow, there's so much you can work on. There's so many things you can work on. So I guess the people where the age is worse, it's actually better for them because they did it. It's kind of like they should be happy about it because they've been more proactive um, and they've got so many things that they can do to hopefully change that and and, and not hit those age-related diseases. Um, Nicolina, thank you so, so much for this absolutely amazing podcast interview. You've given us so much information about aging, about all, all the things that um, your team has done in regards to research and so forth. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I can get you back on the podcast so we can go a little bit more into infla aging and so many other things, maybe some genes and so forth and some of the latest research. Thank you. Really thank you. to be here. Thank you so much. Content and information provided here is opinion of Mahela Raguse and is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to provide medical advice or take the place of medical advice or any current treatment you're undertaking. Consult your own medical professionals for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the Natural Health Podcast. It is advised that you consult your doctor or healthcare professional in relation to any health concerns you may be having. Mahela Raguse does not take responsibility for any health consequences which occur from a person listening, viewing, or reading this content. And in a circumstances, Circumstances shall the natural podcast, Mahela Raguse, any guests or contributors to the natural podcast, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Mahela Raguse be responsible for damages arising from the information provided on the natural podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Please note if you're taking prescription, do not stop your medication or start a new protocol, including but not limited to supplements lifestyle changes without consulting a doctor or healthcare professional. If you or any person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have read or heard on the natural podcast or in any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. Neither Mahela Raguse nor the publisher of this contact takes responsibility for the possible health consequences of any person or persons reading or listening or following the information in educational content.